I invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37, and we will read the entire chapter uh, this morning. Uh, We've been going through uh, the book of Genesis for a few years now, on and off. We've kind of been going through this, and and now we're to the last part, really. This Joseph and and Jacob story here uh, takes us to the end of Genesis, and and so we're going to go through this last part now. There, there might be a couple of weeks where we do something else, but for the most part, uh, we'll try to work our way through the end of Genesis. Now, uh, usually when you come to a phrase, as you'll see in verse 2, where these are the generations of Jacob in this case, uh, usually when you see that in Genesis, if you look at uh, chapter 36, where it talks about the generations of Esau, you get a list of names and maybe a few details, but Uh, But with this, uh, the generations of Jacob, we get a whole bunch of stories. And a lot of it focuses on Joseph. But we're going to look at these stories. Uh, Some of them are somewhat long. And and this morning, we're not going to be able to hit on everything that's said in chapter 37, because many of these things will come up later on. Uh, But uh, we are going to take a look at the chapter, and we'll see what God is doing in all of this. And and if you grew up in a church, uh, you know the story of Joseph really well. Uh, But we're going to uh, take a look at it starting at the beginning here. So let me read Genesis chapter 37, beginning at verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan, These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? 
And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Joseph said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood, and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, we, or This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. The word of the Lord. Well, as we get into this story, let me just review a little bit about Jacob, uh, Joseph's father and, and the father of, of all of the boys. And you will remember that, that Jacob has had his own issues through his life. Uh, he had a twin brother that he fought with in the very womb of their mother. Um, and then they fought long afterwards as well. They're reconciled at this point as, as we get to this passage. But there are a lot of problems caused by parental favoritism. Uh, Jacob's father, who was named Isaac, loved Esau, his twin brother, whereas Rebekah, his mom, loved Jacob, and it caused all kinds of problems. Uh, we see uh, in Jacob's uh, early years, uh, the older serving the younger. It was uh, Jacob who, who tricked his father into getting the blessing. Uh, he himself was tricked into marrying two uh, women, 
He wanted to marry Rachel, but got tricked into marrying Leah first, and, and he only loved Rachel, really, but he has those two wives, plus they wanted more sons from Jacob, so they gave him their servants as wives, and you, met, or you see their names mentioned here, Bilhah and, and Zilpah, and, and so uh, we've got sons from these different wives, and by the way, Jacob, his name has gotten changed to Israel, and that name will be used interchangeably uh, throughout this, this passage and actually uh, till the end of Genesis. And there's reasons for that that we'll get into another time. But here we have Jacob's family now. And, and Joseph is the son, one of two sons, of the wife that he loved, Rachel. And it, Rachel died giving childbirth to the younger of the two boys, uh, Benjamin is his name, we'll come to him uh, in weeks to come, but, but Joseph is hated by his brothers. We see that in the first 11 verses. In fact, he is really hated by his brothers. When you look at verse 4, it mentions that they hated him. In verse 5, they hated him. And then when you look at verse 8, they hated him even more. They hated him, they hated him, they hated him. Uh, in the Hebrew, they don't have exclamation marks like we would have or emojis that express emotion. Uh, they express uh, emotion like that by repeating things. So when Moses, as he writes Genesis, is repeating how much they hated him, they really hated him. And there are a few reasons why they hated him. Uh, we see in verse 2 that he brought a bad report about some of his brothers uh, to their father. Now this word bad report in the Hebrew, uh, it could be translated whisper. And, and it kind of uh, hints at this idea that, you know, there's something maybe not quite up and up about what uh, Joseph is saying here. Is he passing along gossip that he heard whispered and, and may or may not be true? Or did he do this thing where, and you've had friends like this, where he said, hey, let's do this, and then when everyone does it, you go and tell somebody, hey, look what they did. You know, you whisper uh, what they did wrong. Uh, did he double-cross them? At the very best, we can say he's a tattletale, and that's the best we can say about what he's done here. So his brothers don't like him. We see another reason in verses 3 and 4, because uh, their father loved Joseph much more. He was the son, of, uh, it says, of his old age in verse 3, and, and uh, Joseph, or Jacob was elderly, didn't think he was going to be able to have a son with, with this wife that he really did love more, uh, but here he is. And he loves him more and, and gives him this robe of many colors. Uh, and just so you know, uh, it gets translated the robe of many colors, but it might not actually have been a robe of many colors. Uh, we, we go with that because that's how it got uh, translated very early. It's, it's a hard translation, and I don't mean to ruin any country western songs or <laughs> Broadway plays that play off this coat of many colors, but... Uh, it may have been a long-sleeved robe. Uh, actually, literally, it would read palms, down to his palms. So it may have been long-sleeved. It may have had some golden ornaments on it. it. It was distinctive, whatever it was. It may have been uh, colorful. 
Um, but what it was, was a perpetual reminder to the brothers that Joseph was loved more. And it seemed as though he kind of reveled in that, and he would flaunt the fact that he was loved more. So much so, in verse 4, it says they couldn't even speak peacefully with him. They couldn't even pretend to like him. You get this hint that maybe he was flaunting this a little more than he probably should have. And then we have the dreams, another reason for his brothers to hate him. Uh, the first involves just the brothers and, and these grain sheaves. And, and by the way, grain is going to be a big issue uh, down the road here. But he tells them this dream, and, and the brothers interpret it correctly in verse 8. Oh, so you're going to rule over us? You know, he, he's by far, uh, not the oldest, he's, he's one of the younger ones here, and, and you're going to rule over us. Um, he has a second dream, which is basically the same, but it's a little broader. This one involves the sun and the moon along with stars, and, and Jacob interprets it correctly. Oh, so now I'm going to bow down, and, and your mother, uh, by the way, the one who is still alive, Rachel, uh, has passed away, but, but Leah, she, she's going to bow down, and, and, and the boys. And, and, and Jacob certainly knows that God speaks in visions and in dreams. Jacob himself uh, had that experience. So he knows that God speaks this way. But also note this, that Jacob rebukes Joseph in verse 10 for telling uh, these dreams. And you get the hint there that maybe Joseph is a little too proud of what he's saying. A little too arrogant in announcing to everyone, by the way, you're going to bow down to me. I mean, it would be a fun thing to say to other people, but you get the idea that he's being a little arrogant here. So when we look at Joseph from his brother's point of view, what we have here is a, a guy that's a tattletale, or maybe a double crosser, or, or passing bad information. We have a guy that seems to be flaunting his favoritism in their face by wearing this robe. A guy that's maybe relishing the fact that he's going to lead them and they're going to bow down to him. Just, I just want us to see Joseph from the brother's point of view. And you say, well, you know, he's a 17-year-old boy. You know, that, that's how they act, right? I just threw Gabe under the bus there. Uh, <laughs> but you say, he, <laughs> he will grow up. He will grow up. But here's this 17-year-old boy, and he seems to be a little full of himself. And his brothers can't really trust him. However, that is no excuse for what the brothers do. And we see their reaction in verses uh, 12 through 28, basically. Now, when we see this story, we kind of know the end. And, and many of us uh, grew up knowing about uh, Joseph. Uh, so we kind of know the end, and we miss a little bit of the suspense in the middle. And this is somewhat suspenseful. We don't really know the geography that well, and we may have lost some of the uh, backstory here. So, so let me just fill us in a little bit about what Joseph is doing here. Uh, first of all, he is a shepherd. We see that in verse 2. But he's not with his brothers. So the question is, is he not with his brothers because his father knows how much 
the brothers hate him and don't want to send him with the brothers? Or is it that there's great danger in Shechem? And this comes back to Genesis chapter 34. Uh, and what had happened there is it got started with Simeon and Levi, two of Joseph's brothers. Uh, they hoodwinked uh, some people in, in Shechem. They were uh, standing up for their sister's honor, uh, but came into an agreement uh, with the king and his son, and then uh, pretty much massacred everybody. It, it was horrible what they did. They, they, they massacred them. And so the inhabitants of that area don't like Jacob and any of his sons. In fact, God told them to leave. That's why they're not there anymore. And so it's a dangerous area for uh, these guys to be. So, so we see when Joseph, uh, to his credit, goes willingly. When You notice that in, in verse uh, 13. Uh, he goes willingly. But here's what he's doing. He's, he's walking uh, 50 miles. Shechem is about 50 miles from where he's at into this area where the people don't like him, going to his brothers who hate him, and then it gets worse because when he gets there, somebody says, no, you have to keep going north. They're not here anymore. Keep going another day's journey and maybe even a little more. And we get this sense that here's Joseph walking into this area where there's nothing but enemies, really. Can this end well? Is there any possible way for this one to end well? Well, Joseph continues on to find his brothers. And in verse 18, we see that they see him from afar. And how did they know it was Joseph? Well, maybe he had a distinctive way of walking. My guess is they saw that robe because he's wearing that robe. But what's alarming about this is in verse 20, we see that they have almost an immediate plan to kill him. Ah, here he is. Let's kill him. <laughs> I, they didn't even discuss it. Let's just do it. It's as though they had been thinking about this. And, and that word kill, by the way, in the Hebrew, there's not, nothing judicial or nice about that word. I, that, that's just the illicit, cruel, kill kind of word. It was vengeance they had in mind. Well, we see uh, the oldest of the brothers, Reuben, in verses 21 and 22. He intervenes, and this is somewhat unexpected. Uh, we'll talk more about him later on, but he's the oldest son. And he actually has the most to lose if, if Joseph does ascend above everybody because Reuben is supposed to get the double portion of everything. So his intervention is somewhat unexpected, and you wonder, now, why would he want to save Joseph? Maybe it's because he was trying to be a responsible older brother, perhaps. Maybe he was thinking of their father. He knows how this is going to crush Jacob if they have to go and tell uh, Jacob that, that Joseph is dead. Or maybe he's trying to atone for an earlier misdeed. Back in chapter 35, uh, when he uh, really transgressed uh, God and Jacob uh, with his concubine Bilhah. And he really really uh, shamed his father in that misdeed. So maybe he's trying to make up for something he's already done. Well, at any rate, 
uh, they said, he said, let's throw them in the pit. And, and we see that they took him. Uh, it says in, in verses 23 and 25, some of the words, they stripped him and took him and threw him and then sat down to eat. And, and the way that it's written in the Hebrew conveys this idea of they did it quickly, they did it very roughly, and they did it very callously. They did it, then they sat down to eat. And some even speculate that Joseph came with food for them. They may have been eating the food that he came with, throwing him in the pit and leaving him to die. Well, then Judah comes up with a plan in verses 26 through 28. And Judah will mention him in weeks to come as well. Uh, but he has a plan as well. He said, you know what, let's not kill our brother. He is our brother, our flesh. Let's not just leave him here to die. Let's make a profit off him. In verse 28, so uh, they see there's, there's some shepherds, uh, there, there's some traders coming through, and, and they'll buy him for 20 shekels. Now, a shepherd in those days, by the way, if you were to hire yourself out as a shepherd, you would make eight shekels a year. So 20 shekels is a pretty good windfall for this guy. He's a young boy, you know, fit, 17 years old. Uh, they're going to get lots of years of, of use out of him. So these Ishmaelites or Midianites, they're the same people, by the way, uh, they come and, and they buy Joseph and take him to Egypt. And the brothers think, okay, he's gone forever. Finally got rid of this guy. And then they do something that kind of amazes me. Hey, have you ever done that thing where you get something in your mind, especially something you're going to say sometimes, where you think, you know what? When I see this person, I am going to say this. And some, usually it's when you're angry or something. But then when you get there, you don't have to say that because something's come up and, and the situation has changed and, and you don't really have to go through with you know, what you were going to say. But you do it anyhow just because you can't get past it. I kind of get that idea with the brothers here and their cover-up in verses 29 through 35. They don't have to say Joseph is dead First of all, because he's not dead, but because they just couldn't get it out of their mind that they were going to kill him and then come up with this ruse about you know, how he got torn apart by an animal, they just they go with it. They don't stop and think, wait a minute, we, we could do this a different way. We don't have to say anything at all. And Reuben, we notice, he's initially upset, but he, apparently he goes along with the ploy as, as well. And they let their father, Jacob, assume the worst in verses uh, 32 and, and 33. He sees the robe and, and the blood that's actually goat's blood. And there's great irony here as well, because if you'll remember, it was Jacob who with his brother's clothes and with a goat deceived his father into giving him the blessing. So we got kind of the sin of Jacob catching up with him here as he's being deceived by the same means. And they let him assume the worst. In fact, it says in verse 35, they tried to comfort him. And you wonder, what kind of lousy comforters are these when they could just tell him the truth and it'd be okay? Hey, he's in Egypt. Let's go get him. We can buy him back. But it doesn't matter because he refuses to be comforted anyhow. And you almost get this sense that, that he wants to be angry with God and he wants to punish the brothers for what has happened. So he's just going to be angry for the rest of his life. And he doesn't care. He's given up on the whole thing. 
Meanwhile, in verse 36, um, we know what Jacob doesn't at this point, that Joseph is, is in Egypt. So what do we do with, with all of this? We, we could talk about Jacob and his attitude, and, and there will be plenty more of that coming up, so we'll wait on that. We could talk a little bit about the brothers and their attempt to stop God's plan well, God and thinks he has his plan with Joseph. Well, we'll just take care of this and how that doesn't work because that also comes up later on. But what I do want to focus on is what God is doing and how he is doing it here. Notice this. God revealed the plan to Joseph. And when I say the plan, I mean the end but he doesn't reveal the journey. Joseph knows nothing about what he's going to go through, the hardships he's going to have. He's just going to have to learn to trust God and keep the faith. God's told him the end, but he hasn't told him the journey. And we live like this. In fact, last week we looked at Revelation 20, or 21 and 22, where God shows us in, in Scripture the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, and the new earth. He, told, he tells us the end, but he doesn't necessarily tell us the journey. That's why Paul writes that we, we walk by faith. Uh, Matthew Henry, uh, he puts it this way, and I quote, he said, Christ had a joy set before him, and so do Christians. God has a way of preparing his people beforehand for the trials which they cannot foresee, but which he has an eye to in the comforts with which he furnishes them. You see, Joseph is, is going to have to remember what the end is as he goes through a lot of his journey. As we do, yet we need to learn a lesson from Joseph. We would be remiss if we didn't. You see, Joseph, as Jacob's favorite son, was somewhat arrogant and self-absorbed. He seemed to revel in his status as being the chosen one. And he seemed to like to show it off and say it in perhaps not a quite polite way. Proverbs 16, 18 tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And sometimes we can have that tendency to, to, uh, to think of the end and maybe become a little bit arrogant in the journey. One uh, theologian put it this way, as Christians, we should be the most humble of all people especially as we deal with non-believers. Some will think us arrogant simply for asserting that Jesus alone is the way to salvation, but we must not fuel this belief with a prideful attitude. We are not better or smarter than others because we know Christ, and so we must never act as if we are inherently superior to anyone. And that's a hard lesson to learn sometimes. And sometimes God has to teach us humility, as he taught Joseph. 
Yet another thing in this story. In the midst of everything that's going on, in the midst of all this arrogance and of all this hatred and of all this deceit and everything that's going on, we can see a glimpse of Christ. We can see what God is doing as, as we look back at it. John chapter 1 is a great prologue as he talks about uh, Christ and, and, and the gospel. And he writes in there about Christ. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And we see that happening with Joseph here. Despite his imperfections, we can get a glimpse of what God is doing in sending this beloved son to people who aren't going to receive him, in fact, want to kill him. In fact, pay people to take him away. Give him to foreigners. Get him out of here. We don't want a deal. We can get a glimpse of Christ. And we're reminded in this that God's plan is to save. And even though Jesus had to come on his dangerous journey, into enemy territory among brothers who would not receive him. That was all part of our salvation. And as we get started in this story of Joseph and how he will save his brothers from the famine, and that's in times to come, in weeks to come, but we can see what God is doing. This journey is about our salvation. And God will do what he has to do to get us there. So we humble ourselves to God and give him praise for taking us to his salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for these words written for us that we may be comforted in the fact that we know the end. We know your plan for those who trust in Christ. There is the new Jerusalem. There is the holy city. We also know there's a journey to get there, Heavenly Father. And so as we are on this journey and start this new year, we ask that you'll give us uh, humble hearts, pure hearts, Hearts of love and yet hearts of great joy as we know that this journey is about serving you and about your salvation that you give to your people. We thank you for that and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now if you will, turn to hymn 375. We'll stand and sing Jesus Calls Us. Mm -hmm.